This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Several high-ranking members of the Chinese government confirmed that the growth target for the current fiscal year was being lowered from 7% to 6.5%. Ironically, last year, that news might have sent off warning bells on the world markets. This time, it didn't have much effect at all. Meanwhile, a report last night said that exports for the country tumbled 25% last month, while imports declined 14%. It has many wondering again what exactly is going on there. Wharton's Minwan Zhao joins us here in the studio. She obviously uh, has a little bit of a, of a vested interest in that country. And also joining us on the phone is Barry Naughton, who is a chair of the Chinese International Affairs Department at the University of California at San Diego's School of Global Policy and Strategy. Minwan, as always, great to catch up with you. Thanks for coming in. Great to be here. Barry, great to have you back. Thanks very much for coming on. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, is the is the quote unquote investment in China, which everybody talked about for a while, is it going to get better in the near term? Do you think, Minwan? Well, if I tell you I know exactly what's going on in China and know where it's going, I'm lying. Yeah. Um, I've talked with many people from all walks of life and all levels of you know government as well as business world, and it's you know uncertainty is the key word I'm hearing from everyone. So. It's you know it's it's not about the downward spiral. It's not about the the frustration about you know the policies and so on. It's it's the uncertainty. It's you know the difficulty to see what's actually going on in the policymakers' mind, in the regulators' mind. Barry, well, I, I certainly agree with that. The uncertainty is a key thing, but I think we can also say over the next six months to a year, uh, things will get worse. They won't get better. They'll get worse. Now, we know this for two reasons. Uh, on the one hand, the kind of broad picture structural elements are, are pushing the growth rate of the Chinese economy down. And the people at the most recent uh, uh, government meetings really tacitly acknowledged, of course, being Chinese, they never say this, but they tacitly acknowledged that policies adopted in the last year didn't work. And so they launched a new set of policies, which they call supply-side reforms. Now, supply-side reforms basically are designed to, for the government to give a much more rapid push to the restructuring of Chinese industry. They're going to lay off people. They've got yeah. programs in place to uh, sort of provide transitional assistance. It's going to go to the steel industry and the coal industry first. But that means... Uh, Chinese people are going to see an increased pace of layoffs. The fact that the economy is slowing is going to be brought more personally home to more consumers. So that's definitely going to be uh, a more difficult and more troubled part of this economic transition than we've seen so far. The number, you can be sure of that. The number, Barry, I guess that a lot of people saw was the story, I guess, a week or so ago that uh, the, the, it started to say, what was it, between like three and five million people were going to be laid off from their jobs over the next yeah, two well, to that, three years? 
Yeah, that, that's that's two to three years. So that that's probably a good estimate. I the one I will pay more attention to in the short run is 1.3 million people out of coal and a half a million out of steel. And the reason I emphasize those is because those are going to happen soon. Those are the first two sectors to go. Well. I- I don't think that's the worst part of the story.、Um, you know, I, I started teaching global strategy when Detroit was going through the same thing, right? I was in Michigan for a while, and everyone's complaining, you know, talking about the sky falling and talking about the lost jobs, closed factories, laid off people, reduced、yeah. consumption, and so on and so forth. But you know, if you look at the history of countries, it seems that every economy went through that kind of period once in a while.、Um, Um, so you know, if there is a you know well-defined future ahead of them, you know there.、Uh, I believe in entrepreneurship、uh, of Chinese people, and believe you know there are ways they can dig themselves out.、Uh, you know, so yes, the layoffs are painful, but it's kind of a short-term pain、uh, for for better efficiency in the market. The the, the Problem is the layoff combined with uncertainty that that will reduce a lot of the incentives people may have to dig themselves out. So, in some respects, if going off of what you said, Mimwan, that this is really going to in the next couple of years fall even more so. The government will play its role, but it will fall even more so on the people themselves to really kind of drive the any kind of growth that, that this country is going to see. Especially if you're talking about that, there may need to be an increased level of entrepreneurship. Within that country, well, that has already been the case for、yeah. several years. The,、yeah. the government has been encouraging people to get into entrepreneurship, partly because that's a new spot, you know, bright spot. Partly because that eases the burden on employment. Barry, as you said, and with with coal and steel, especially coal, coal here in the United States is a is an industry that's that's struggling right now. So it's not really a surprise that it would be、uh, over there as well. Uh, sure. What are kind of the other areas then potentially that we could see a shift that that may kind of grow in the next five to ten years out of China that may kind of help their economy out a little bit? Well, there are many.、Uh, I very much agree with what Ming Wan said. I mean, there are many sectors that have strong growth potential,、uh, include you know, including the one that's obvious that everybody points to just because it's so obvious is、uh, online transactions where.、Yeah. We see them exploding in a whole range of areas, including online finance. They're already ahead of the United States. So, I mean, there's plenty of growth potential in the, in the Chinese economy. No, no question about that. The, the the reason I was stressing the fact that things are going to get worse over the next year is that you know, even though the economy has all this potential, it's still struggling with the difficulty of adjusting to a slower growth rate. And you know we have seen in the past from Japan, we've seen in the past from Korea, that when that structural transformation is being made,、mm-hmm. it's really hard to make policy. It's really easy to make mistakes, and there are a lot of things、uh, that that you can do wrong. And China's made its share of mistakes in the last year. Absolutely,、yeah. there's been many policy missteps. So I would say, although the Chinese people are, are tremendously entrepreneurial, and there are many sectors with potential. The last year hasn't been great in terms of actually seeing those people, you know, really put their shoulder to the wheel and start up new businesses and shift the structure of the economy. And part of the reason for that is just politics—that the Chinese government says all the right things about structural change, but doesn't say all the right things 
about entrepreneurial freedom. Right. I totally agree, and I just want to add one point. You know, even though I'm drawing the parallel between Detroit and so many other places around the world with China today, um, uh, what makes it worse, or I can say more challenging, is that the legitimacy of the regime is based on stability, economic growth, and so on. So the government is very nervous about any social uncertainty, any social instability yeah. coming out of unemployment. And yes, we know the transition will be painful, and that's true for every single country. But in China in particular, the government will be very nervous. They're watching out. They're going to be very careful about what's being said on WeChat and any social media. Uh, They're going to be very careful in propping up in the short-term basis, you know, some of the economic activities that may not make sense in the long run just because they want to, you know, very nervously avoid any uh, social unrest that may occur. So, you know, this may get make things even worse. And, you know, I'm always worried about all these short-term policies in the way of long-term transition. But, you know, I, I expect that to happen in the next few years. And we're talking with Min Wan Zhao the Wharton School and also Barry Naughton of the University of California at San Diego. Your comments are welcome at 844 844- Wharton 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. And just a reminder, in about 15 minutes, we're going to be talking about uh, the uh, the mess going on in the state of Louisiana with the budget problems that that state is having. So that's coming up in about 15 minutes. I guess then the, the, the question for, for us as we sit here is that, as I mentioned before, when, when there were hints of China is not going to make their growth number last year. Mm-hmm. That had such an effect globally on the markets. This time, them making this pronouncement hasn't had that effect. What, what's, what was your reaction to that? Well, that's that's so expected. So interestingly, when the 6.9% was announced, I was in my very first class in my China elective um, yeah. at Wharton here. And we talked about it. And why the market was so nervous about 6 Point nine versus seven percent, even though you know very few people in the market believe these are real numbers. Right, it's like the admission. You know, given how much the legitimacy is tied to GDP growth, the fact that the government is willing to admit that this year we missed by zero point one percent is a huge deal. Yeah, it's you know the fact they're willing to admit first of all show that we tried all we could. And, you know, we simply couldn't make it. And second, it opens the door to possible downward, you know, adjustment down the road. The moment you admit there is a possibility of missing the goal, you know, I leave room for uh, for lower number down the road. So I think it's the 6.9, uh, 6.5 was already priced in. People expected okay. a lower number coming out this year. Barry? Yeah, well, I, I agreed with that last comment. I mean, I think I, I maybe wouldn't 100% agree about uh, all this excess reading into the tea leaves for the the, the growth rate. I mean, the, the market was surprised last year because people in the broader market still were thinking of China as a, a, a potential 8 or 10 percenter, and uh, they needed a little bit of shock to to tell them that China had has ended its super high growth period and is going to start growing like a more normal economy. Of course, you know, insiders like Ming-Wan already knew that, so it wasn't any news, to, you know, to her. But I think for the market as a whole, they had to shift gears. Now, today, we, I think people have already accepted. They, they recognize China's going to grow about, if we're lucky, China's going to grow about 6 to 7%. The 
other difference today is is China's policy looks to be a little bit more coherent right now. In other words, as I said, they're going to push harder on the restructuring, but at the same time, they're going to loosen monetary and fiscal policy a little bit because they recognize that that kind of restructuring can be painful and they need a little bit, not too much, but a little bit more stimulus. So I think the market essentially sees that as short-term positive, short-term doable, and I agree. What about the real estate market there, Barry? Because that's that that's something that we've talked about on this show before about uh, you know the effect that that a lot of properties that have been built there and are not being inhabited by by families. Uh, you've got a lot of properties that that are left open right now. Yeah, sure. Um, big long term problem. Two things we can say is one: the real estate market is definitely stabilized, so that. Prices are going up a little bit in the big, in the really big cities, just the Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, Shenzhen. Uh, and in the other cities, there's a little bit more optimism. Not that fundamental conditions are any better, but the same new policy, this supply side reform policy that talks about cutting capacity in steel also talks about finding creative ways to sell down this leftover inventory of housing. So the most exciting thing is the idea that you know, cities will start setting up housing authorities and renting these places to, you know, people who can't afford to own a, uh, a full flat. So uh, it's, it's not a pretty picture, uh, but it's a little bit better than it was a year ago. Yeah, I think in big cities, um, well, it, it's better in the terms of higher prices. It's scary in the terms of you know increasing signs of bubble. Um, it, it just passed the Chinese New Year. The the prices for the major cities went up significantly mm-hmm. because of the higher leverage people are using. Uh, so. The uh, the down payment requirement is lower and the uh, scrutiny is lower. You know, if you look at the policies rolled out to beef up the market, it has every sign of what we saw in the United States. You know, around between two thousand three and two thousand six. So, you know, it's um it it's still very controversial whether those kind of you know upward movement of housing price, given the glut we see, uh, is a healthy sign. Uh- in the that's last, really, go ahead. That's a really great. But I just want to, you know, say how much I agree with that. I mean, mm-hmm. in every sector, the, you know, credit has been increasing, in, you know, about eight to ten percent faster than GDP every year since two thousand nine, and uh, it's really. Uh, Eventually, there's got to be a either a crisis or a much more aggressive debt restructuring program. I've seen a lot of articles, and and tell me how much of an effect this actually is. But they talk about, and and I'm surprised in some respects, but they talk about this concept of the Lunar New Year. Mm -hmm. Explain what what it is, and and is there an effect on on the Chinese economy from it? Because I've read about it, and and I'm trying to kind of get a handle on it. Sure. Minwan, do you want to handle that? Yeah, you can go ahead. Okay, I'll start. You can you can correct me sure. on, some de- on the on the ground knowledge. Um, you know, the thing about Chinese New Year is everybody goes home, and there's also a tradition that you pay off all your debts and restart. Uh, you know, if you can't really pay it off, you sort of pay it back and then reborrow it. Mm-hmm. 
and so everybody's giving uh, cash gifts like at Christmas uh, in in red envelopes, and they're they're doing these uh, these uh, financial transactions. So there are hundreds of millions of people riding the trains and moving around, and they need much more cash. Right. So the amount of cash in circulation soars by about forty percent for about three weeks. So you know people don't work. It's like the whole structure of the economy changes yeah. for a month, and then it changes back. Whether there's a long run effect, I don't know. Minwan, what do you think? Well, I think this Chinese New Year in particular, I agree with you. You know, it's kind of a restart, but in the given how frequent uh, the new policies are, uh, how frequently the policies are being rolled out, the fact that you have two weeks of Hold, you know, a quiet period gives people all kinds of reasons to speculate what might come up in the new year. So the moment, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of talk in the Chinese New Year among family members whether we should buy a house, whether, you know, when to buy a house, how to get the down payment. Right. And the moment there's a little sign coming out of New Year that you know the government is going to encourage home ownership, they're going to lower you know requirement for down payment and so on. People see that as a you know signal for the downward adjustment of prices, and they jump in. So um, you know, I, I may read too much into it, but the fact that you know there is some quiet period, and all the discussions online about what might happen when the new year ended, yeah. uh, kind of increased the speculative move, if you can call it. Barry, uh, Mimon brought up something that, that I wanted to touch on anyway, is the fact that uh, I guess the government had lowered the requirements on down payments on properties anyway. And, and right. obviously they're trying to do that to see if they can spur you know, more more home sales if they possibly can. You know, does that move typically have, have the type of effect that it ends up wanting to have? Or d- does it kind of, uh, uh, you know, get, get lost a little bit in the wash? Well, that remains to be seen. I mean, it, 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 if people have strong expectations of prices going down, it'll keep them out of the market, even with a cut in the, in the deposit rate, I mean, in the uh, required uh, down payment rate. Uh, but I think that probably the timing of this was relatively well done, that it comes when people think that prices have stabilized or might even uh, be trending up. So I think it will have some effect. And I think the main uh, buyers in this round are middle class or upper middle class with reasonable purchasing power. Let's face it, like the the properties in Shanghai and Beijing are so expensive. They're not for the working class. And the super rich, they don't need extra, you know, leverage. They're buying houses in Vancouver and San Francisco with all cash. So they're not the ones, you know, who care that much about leverage. I also heard about stories of you know arbitrage uh, activities by speculators because you get a lower interest rate on housing loans. And um, I don't know the details, but there's a lot of discussion about um, taking advantage of the loophole in the system and get a, a cheaper loan for your other activities by getting into the housing market. Barry, I know uh, we've talked with Minwan about uh, this next topic here on the show before, but I want to get your opinion. Is obviously th- there is there's also a big rush for China to be a tech giant, 
within the you know within the global community and certainly they're trying to invest as much as they possibly can uh, in, in that area do you see them becoming that I mean they're obviously making s- some inroads on that but do you see them becoming that in, in the years to come that's that's such a tough question because um, there are so many different high-tech sectors and I think you know certainly 10 20 years from now they're going to be some major successes. Um, really, the question that's that's uh, that's tough to answer is: Are those successes going to be commensurate with the amount of money that they are pouring into these sectors? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And will the se- successes be in the sectors where they're pouring the most money? And it's really hard to answer because they, uh, I've got to say, in this particular area, they purposely keep the information out of the public knowledge. Um, we know that enormous amounts of money have gone into electric vehicles, yeah. uh, for instance, and other things uh, with relatively meager returns. I mean, I think if the Chinese people understood how much money their government was spending on you know, high-tech industries, that, that I think is what would bring people out in the streets and, and cause public uh, unrest. So I think long-term, China has enormous potential. There's a lot that's definitely going to come out of China, but my personal assessment of these policies is that they are a gigantic waste. Well, I just want to add two quick points. I agree that it's very hard to assess the success of a winner-picking strategy. You see the outcome, but you don't know what if. Right? If you didn't pick the winner, what might be the successful area and so on. So it's very uh, hard to benchmark. Um, And uh, the second point is because the government has such a tight hand on um, on the market and on everything, a lot of people said, "Oh, that's going to suffocate growth, uh, the innovation." But I also see the opposite happening. Not, you know, to overweigh the first point, but because the government has a tight end, because there's so much, so little narrow spaces for private entrepreneurs, they have to be extremely flexible and extremely innovative. So, in terms of the way they deliver services, the the way they, you know, you sometimes uh, circumvent regulations. Yeah. You know, that is so flexible and is so innovative, and there's a lot of new you know, uh, business model innovation coming out of China just because it's very difficult to do, you know, business uh, in any regular way. So, um, as I said, the, the entrepreneurial side is is getting really exciting, partly because, you know, they have to be innovative to survive. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. We're talking with Mimon Zhao of the Wharton School and also Barry Naughton at the University of California at San Diego. Just a couple of minutes left, and, and I'll kind of wrap this up on, on a little bit of a lighter note because there's been a couple of stories about about this popping up, you know, in the last uh, week or so. Barry it is all of a sudden China has become or wants to become a rather big player in Hollywood, right. which you know I find very interesting. You know, Wanda Group, you know, made a made a commitment to make a big investment in a Hollywood a Hollywood movie theater. They just bought a series of theaters. I think it was AMC that they bought. And now there's talk about you know all these movies and investment by the Chinese government in movies. They want to make China a almost a Hollywood East. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know this guy, the head of Wanda, is a 
uh, besides being China's richest man, is a very, very savvy player, very savvy businessman. Um, so it'll be interesting, interesting to see where he takes it. And, of course, this is an area where you know, the Chinese government certainly understands the power of propaganda and the yeah. power of movies. So they're nothing but delighted to have uh, one of their major businesses, somebody with an excellent relationship with the top politicians, uh, you know, having access to Hollywood-type skills. So uh, both commerce and politics favor this from the Chinese side. Yeah. And I, I think these two um, changes are not necessarily going hand in hand uh, in the sense that a lot of outward FDI uh, by the private sector yeah. uh, can be argued you know, as risk diversification. Right? There's a lot of money pouring out of China, uh, partly to take advantage of the big market, you know, yeah. tapping into the big brands, and partly to diversify the risk. Um, and uh, in China, I agree that you know, it's such a big market now. I think Kung Fu Panda 3 got more uh, box office revenue from China than from any other countries combined. Right. So uh, it's it's obviously a profitable market, and the government sees that as opportunity uh, to tap into the enthusiasm and play an active role in it. Yeah. You know, what kind of role the government will play in it, that's yet to be seen. And, of course, we saw the reaction of, uh, and what was the movie that Seth Rogen was in uh, a year, year and a half ago, mm-hmm. right around the holidays? Yeah, that, North Korea. Yeah, you know, which which you know, it was in China, but it was you know still kind of that effect on on that part of the region as well. Uh, but just Barry, with the last minute or so that we have, just your, your reaction. The report that came out overnight about uh, about the 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 exports and imports declining so much. I don't know if you'd had the opportunity to see that report, but you know, yeah. hearing those numbers, what, what's your reaction to that? Well, this it's just another sign that the the. Chinese economy really does have, you know, the downward forces are very substantial. Exports were down a lot. Uh, actually, imports, in some ways, I watch the imports a little bit more because, uh, you know, we know that the exports, we know the driving force of the exports is, is weakening and that that's something that policymakers are doing a reasonably good job of adjusting for. Yeah. I look at the imports because they tell me, Basically, how bad is it getting in China? And actually, the import numbers weren't too bad. They were down, uh, what was it, 11 percent? 14%, 14%, yeah. 14%, yeah. Um, that, that's actually not too bad, So, given, especially given price trends on commodities, right. which is mostly what it is. And just want to add quickly, I agree that it mostly reflects the fundamentals, but on a margin, sometimes the big margin is that um, trade sometimes is a disguise to capital flows. Uh, we oh. all know that, you know, the export and import numbers from mainland China is not consistent with the numbers you see in Hong Kong and other countries sure, yeah. in terms of export from here is not the import from there. And a lot of this is discussed uh, capital flows given the control on uh, financial account. Um, since China has tightened up financial flow uh, significantly in the past few months, uh, I'm not surprised to see this kind of trade going down. So it may be on the margin. We don't know how big the margin is, right. but that's a factor to be considered. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.